now we can go ahead and let's get into the message. So now listen, I know some of you are going, oh no, now I'm not going to show up. I'm going to watch online for the next couple of weeks. Um, don't do that. Uh, we will, we will, if I have to spread this out into December because you think you can escape uh, being thanked and, and stuff and brought up here, um, well, just don't even try. So anyway, so we're going to jump into the message. We're almost finished with our, our message called Training Plans. We're going to have a message this morning and then we'll follow up next week uh, to kind of close it all out. But we've been looking at this, this concept of training plans. Um, if, you, if you haven't been with us or haven't been able to, to join us online over the last couple weeks, uh, basically this message came from, from my own personal life. I, I did a, a long gravel bike race in, in August and I've really been taking the things that I learned physically in training for that race and applied them to us spiritually in our training and to, in our growth. And, and our, our main verse that we've been looking at, kind of our, 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 our verse for the entire series is 1 Timothy 4, 8 through 10. So let's look at that again. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. I've had some people say, Aaron, what, what, what do you mean? What, what does the writer, what does Paul say when he says godliness? What is that? What are we really trying to train for? Godliness is really simple. It's being like God. It's like God is basically the concept here, what Paul is trying to get us to understand. So training to be like God is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. We talked about this last week. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle. For our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. Father, we come to you right now, and we just thank you so much for all that you're doing in our service in this time. Thank you for this time of communion and worship. And Father, now as we move into your word, God, I pray that you would just speak through me, that Father, my words would cease and that yours would begin, and that you would, Father, you would change hearts and change lives. Because I can't do that. My words are not capable of that. But Father, your power and your Holy Spirit can change everything. And so that's what we're asking for. That's what we need. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I learned about this race was, well, first of all, let me explain this. I had never done a race before. I have had friends that have done races. I've had family that's done races. But me personally, I never did one. And so there was a lot of questions. There was a lot of, what's it going to be like? Am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to finish? Am I going to somewhere die somewhere along the road on this race? And oh, by the way, you have to come next week to figure out if I survived. Okay? Next week is the final week. So you, you get to figure out if, this, if I'm really real or if I'm just a really, really well, like a robot or something like that or a hologram. So you need to come next week to see if I survive. But at the same time, I had never experienced this. And so I started to try to figure out how can I, in, without, have done, without doing this before, how can I find some things to do to help me to understand what's going to happen to me? And so I tried different things. I remember I went online and I went on YouTube and I, I watched videos of people that were riding in the race. I, I watched people that did all this data analysis when it came to wattage and, and how much uh, effort they put in at different points. I remember one of the things that I did was I actually went into the website that had the, the, um, all the people that had finished. And so I looked at their times and how long it took them. And I looked, I know this is bad of me, but I looked at their age. And I remember thinking, okay, look, this guy was 60 years old and he finished it. I can do this, you know, kind of a thing. I remember I even like found out who these people were and there were pictures. 
that they post because basically on the race is kind of cool. Um, you get pictures taken, you know? And so I'm looking at the pictures and I'm going, okay, I, I can do this just because I, was, I, I shouldn't have done this, but I was looking at the people, you know? And I'm going, hey, if that guy can do it, I can do it. Here's what I was basically doing. I was looking for examples. I was looking for something and someone that I could follow and look at and use as a tool to help me accomplish the things that I want to do. We have been talking a lot over the last couple weeks about training ourselves, and that's very, very important. But we need to understand we're not just commanded by God to train ourselves. We are also commanded by God to train others. And that's what we're going to be talking a little bit about this morning, is your first point in your notes. We need to be training ourselves and others. We need to be training ourselves and others. So let's look at this together. Look at Proverbs 6.22. Now, here's what's interesting. A lot of you know this verse very well. Typically, this verse is used for good reason when it comes to parenting children. But I want to look at this together because there's something that we need to understand about this verse. Are you ready? Look at it with me. Proverbs 22, 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I want you to understand something to me, with me for a second. Nowhere in this scripture do you see the word parent. We apply it to parent-child relationship, and quite rightly so. But we don't see here a specific situation where it says, as a parent, you are to train up a child. It simply says to be training up children in the way they should go. And I'm going to take it one step further. I'm not going to just talk about children in the physical sense, but also children in the spiritual sense. Our job, what we should be looking at and remembering, is this concept that we should be training others. Yes, we need to be training ourselves. Yes, we need to be training for godliness. But we have a job that is bigger. We've talked about this before. It's not a situation where God has simply called you to just be a disciple of him. He's also called you to be an evangelist of him. A disciple is someone that's following, training themselves. And a, a, a person that is an evangelist is going and training others. And it's important that we see that. I'm not saying that this isn't a good verse to use for parents or grandparents or uncle, uh, aunts and uncles or whatever. But I'm also saying, listen, because you, you, people, what they tend to do is this. Well, I don't have any kids. I don't have any grandkids. I, this verse isn't for me. No, this verse is for you. It's for all of us. We all need to be looking for those that God has placed in our lives and look to train them. Look to gird them up. Look to say, come on, let's go. Let me help you become more like Jesus. Let's look at 1 Timothy 4.12. We're still in this verse, but this is what it says. It says, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. This is another one of those verses that people tend to look at and they tend to say, this isn't for me. And they tend, to, they tend to say that for one simple reason. They say, well, wait a minute, I'm not young. You know, Paul is writing this to Timothy. Timothy was young. He says, basically, don't let people look down on you because of your youth. But again, there is a greater understanding. There's a greater principle here. Because here's the thing. There's a lot of times that people will say, I can't be used. I can't train others. I can't be in an example because others have said I can't. Because I'm not good enough. 
because I'm not wise enough, because I haven't followed Jesus long enough. Listen, when you read this verse, you need to take, sometimes we need to take out the word young and put anything in there that is a hindrance to you being examples that God has called you to be. Sometimes that person that is speaking negatively about your ability to be that example is yourself. Sometimes you make the, the, the excuses. You say, why I can't. When scripture tells us, yes, you can. You can be that example. You can be that person that trains others. God has called you to do it. And God doesn't call us to do these things without equipping us to accomplish them. It's one of the things I love about God. Of many things. He doesn't say, listen, I want you to train others and then take your, his hands off you and say, good luck, man, have fun. When Jesus calls us to things, he equips us to accomplish them. Listen, the point is at times that you're not good enough. The point is that you're not smart enough. When you aren't good enough and you're not smart enough, you will run to the person who is, and that's always Jesus. He can equip you to accomplish these things. But we tend to make excuses. We tend to say why we can't. And Paul here is saying to Timothy, and he's saying to us today, don't let anyone, don't let anyone, including yourself, talk you out of being the example that God has called you to be. And listen, this is a big responsibility. It's a huge responsibility. It's a responsibility that God has called every single one of us to. But again, God will equip us to do it. I've said it before, and I think it fits here so well. Listen, we need to work and serve as if what we're doing depends on it and pray as if knowing that, that God can take care of it. But we have to work that way and move that way and be that example that he's called us to. And listen, you can all, we can all do this. Every single one of us can be an example. You say, well, Aaron, listen, I, I just got saved two weeks ago. Great. There are lots of people that don't know Jesus that you can begin their training right now so in this we have to understand what god has called us to do just like as i was preparing for a race and i was looking to others to help me there are other people that are around you that have been placed in your path by god who need an example who need someone who'll say listen come on let's move this direction come on let's do this let's do this let's do this so that we can continue to grow and train in godliness but sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we tend to want to let it, everybody else do it when God has called us. Listen, this is in your notes, and I want us to get this. And I don't say this to make you feel guilty or shame. I want you to understand something that's very important in this. Look at this. It says, if everyone in your world loved, served, worshipped, studied the word, and followed Jesus like you do, what would your world look like? Because an example is exactly that. It's, it's someone being trained to be like you. We're going to see that more in a moment. But think about that. What would they look like? I mean, what's a disciple? A disciple is, is becoming like Jesus. That's what we're wanting to do. That's what the disciple model shows us. The goal of a disciple is to become just like the master. So if someone was watching you and following you, would you want them to do those things like you do? That's what being an example is. 
and it can be hard, but God can equip us to do it. So let's look at this together. We can help train others by setting the example. But what does that look like? How do we actually put some brass tacks to it, rubber meets the road stuff, that we can actually apply in our lives right now to make that happen? But before we get there, let's look at this together. Look at 1 Corinthians 11.1. Look what Paul says, and this should be our cry as well. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We need to understand first and foremost, we're not trying to be the best Aaron or the best Joe or the best Fred or the best Sally in the world. We're trying to be the best Jesus we can be. The problem becomes when we try to be the best us instead of the best Jesus. Listen, the world doesn't need the best Aaron. Doesn't. I could be the best Aaron in the world and it wouldn't be enough. What this world needs is the best examples of Jesus we can be. So Paul here doesn't say, listen, the guy that wrote most of the New Testament doesn't say basically, hey, be like Paul. He's basically saying, be like Jesus as I am like Jesus. So it starts there. You want to go, how do we do this? How do, what does this look like? It's simple. Study the life of Jesus. See how Jesus handled things. See how Jesus handled people. See how Jesus handled hard situations and happy situations and good situations and bad situations. Learn him and imitate him first. And when you become more like Jesus, what will end up happening is people that are following your example will also become more like Jesus. But I also want to give you some more more kind of, like I said, brass tacks, rubber meets the road types of situations. And in this scripture that we just read up in 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul gives Timothy some very simple, very practical things where his life can be an example to others. And we're going to look at them together. So let's look at these. Okay, how can we do that? First, we can set the example in speech. We can set the example in speech. Look at Ephesians 4.29. In Ephesians 4.29, is when it says, don't use foul or abusive language. Now listen, what's interesting about this is I remember growing up and, 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 and I remember my pastor saying this very clearly to me, you know, and, and to the whole church. He would say things like this. He would say, you, Aaron, you, you need to make sure, and he was, he, was, he was from a place called Licking, Missouri, okay? If you don't know where Licking, Missouri is, you are not alone because hardly anyone knows where Licking, Missouri is. But think Southern Missouri, Ozark-type area, okay? And he'd say, Aaron, you better not go out with any girl that cusses, that drinks, or, or don't, Aaron, don't you cuss, smoke, or drink, or go out with a girl that does, Remember hearing that? And I have found that, you know what's interesting, is we tend to work really hard on what we consider to be foul language. There are certain words that we just don't say. But what's interesting here is what we see in Ephesians is not just foul language, but it's abusive language. I mean, let's be honest. Most of us, if you know, we've been saved for a while, we do okay on the foul. But can I ask you simply, how is your abusive language? How do you handle that? Because sometimes I may not say the bad word, quote unquote, but my language is not encouraging the way it should be. So let's continue. Foul or abusive language. Now what should we say? Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So we have, in this verse here, we have two separate things. We have this idea of foul and abusive, 
and then we have this idea of good and helpful and encouragement. If you took all of your words and they were either divided into those two sections and they were put on a scale, every day what side of the scale would go down? What side of the scale would be heavier? What side of the scale would the good, helpful, encouraging words go down? Because listen, I know sometimes it's hard. We, we say things we shouldn't. We think things we shouldn't. But which of those scales is going to go down the most and the quickest? You see, sometimes we think that what we say, we forget the power that it has. And I'll take it one step further because we live in 2021. Listen, I'm, this is not just the speech you say. Can you hear me? It is the speech you type. It is amazing to me. The speech that is typed by Christians and people that claim to know Jesus. The example that you said, and here's the thing. Here, here's the problem with that that's even greater. Let's say I go to Zach and I say something abusive and stupid to him. Guess who hears about that? Me, Zach, and probably Wendy, and then Wendy comes gunning for me, right? That's how this works. But when I say something abusive and not helpful and negative online, huh, isn't it great that when you put something online, the only people that see it are you? It shoots out everywhere. This is not just being an example on what you say verbally. It's what you say when you type it. Please hear me here. Please understand what God has called us to. To be that example, we need to set a high example in speech. Number two, we need to set the example in conduct. In conduct. Look at James 2.14 with me. In James 2.14 through verse 17, this is what it says. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save everyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does it do? So you see... Faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is, de it is dead and useless. Now, please, I have to always say this when we look at these verses. James is not talking about salvation. We are not saved by works. He is saying the fruit that should come from your salvation is these types of things. Meaning simply this, your conduct should be different because you know Jesus. Your conduct should be setting an example. When you're at work and you're, you're, you're brought into a situation that nobody is happy about, let's just be honest. Nobody's thrilled about the situation and everybody's complaining and everybody's having a fit, but your conduct is different. You're showing an example of who Jesus is inside of you. When we don't just look at a need, but we don't, and we don't just look at a need and expect someone else to take care of it, but we say, no, I will deal with the need. I will be the hands and the feet of God in this situation. The fruit that is, comes from that shows how your conduct, how the way you live has been transformed by Jesus. Listen, we love the scripture that says that we are in Christ. We are a new creation. All old things have passed away. You know when we love that the most? We love it when we realize all the things that we did in the past that God has wiped away. And that is so true. But you know what? When we become a new creation in Christ, our conduct should be different. How we live should be different. And again, 
I'm not saying that we have to always be, we're not perfect in these things. God is still changing us from glory to glory. But if you took all your actions, all your conduct, and you put them on the scale, and the good things, and the godly things, and, and the light, and you put all the other things, the complaining, the negative, the, all those, and you put them on the scale, which one would go down? Which one would be the heaviest? Next, number three. We set the example in how we love. We set the example in how we love. Look at John 13. John 13, this is what it says. Jesus is, is, is they, they, he's brought the disciples together for what we call the Last Supper. And listen to what happens. After washing their feet. So Jesus, at this point, we, most of us know the story. Jesus, no one washed the feet of the people coming in, so Jesus does it. So Jesus says, after washing their feet, he puts on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. What is Jesus really communicating here? By Jesus doing this, he is showing an extreme, extreme act of love. And he's basically saying, listen, I want you to love like that. What does that mean? Listen, look at this. Picture this with me. I want you to uh, kind of visualize this, okay? The disciples are wearing sandals. Now, that seems simple. We all seen, you know videos and whatever we get it they didn't have you know nikes or boots that are covered so their feet have been walking around in the dirt all day they're filthy they're dirty okay i don't know about you but hey listen i'm just going to be honest with you. you you have a better chance of winning the lottery than seeing my feet okay why because i think my feet are gross so feet aren't necessarily real pretty Okay, if feet were already pretty, women would not spend lots of money to get, uh, what, not pedicures, whatever they're called. What are they called? Are they pedicures? Okay, oh, manicures on the hands, that's right. I'm a guy, okay? So, yeah. so, so they get all the pedicures, and they get all, oh, their toes are all painted, and they look beautiful, and it's all great, so they can wear their sandals. I, I get all that, okay? You, you, you don't have to have something fixed if it's already beautiful. So feet kind of aren't necessarily what I consider to be real pretty. So they're dirty, they're ugly, they're smelly, they're gross. And Jesus doesn't let it stop him. He gets down, he, the master, and he cleans and he washes their feet. Listen, I'll tell you what love is in a real simple way. Love is being willing to get in somebody's mess and their filth and they're dirty, and they're smelly, and say, I don't care, I will love you anyway. It's easy to love the pretty. It's easy to love those whose feet are beautiful. It is not easy, hear me, to love on the feet of a bunch of old fishermen who should have been doing it in the first place. That is the type of love that we need. That is the type of example that Jesus gives us here. That is the type of how we should be loving each other. 
Number four, we set the example in our faith. Look at 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. This is what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Listen, any race you are in, it doesn't matter if it's a 5K, a 10K, 100 miles. It does not matter. There are moments of struggle. There are moments of difficulty. There are moments that it's hard Paul's life was an example of just difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. But what is he saying here as he's kind of wrapping things up? He says, I finished. I worked hard. I didn't stop. I didn't let my faith waver. So many of us, at times when things get tough, we let our faith kind of go downhill. Instead of saying, no, this is the time to let it grow. This is the time to let it be on display. Listen, it's easy to have faith when everything's going well. The one way that you can be a major example to people is when they know how hard life is for you. They know what you're going through. They know the difficulties, but yet your attitude and your faith is just as strong, if not stronger, when everything was going well. It's what God's called us to. It's how we can be an example. The last one, we set the example in our purity. In our purity. Look at Psalms 51.10. Love this psalm. David says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Can I, can I ask you a simple question that you need to answer privately in your own heart? How's your purity? How's your pu- what, what are you allowing in that is not what God would consider to be pure? And this, it is so easy, isn't it? It is so easy to allow those, those things that are not pure to go in. And so I want to help you with this because I, I, I've dealt with kids and, and dealt with adults who have dealt with this, this purity thing, you know, because it is so difficult. Listen, purity is more about not lingering than being able to basically never see. Does that make sense? Listen, you go to the grocery store, you go to Target, and if you're not careful with all the magazines that are sitting there, pure things can be wiped away real quick. The issue that we look about that really caused this psalm to be written by David was not the fact that he happened to see Bathsheba taking a bath on the roof. The issue was that David lingered and then acted upon it. A lot of times I I deal with people and they are walking around with shame and guilt because they, listen, hear me here, understand what I'm saying here, because they walked by Victoria's Secret in the mall. And they feel dirty and guilty. And I'll say to them, listen, listen, did you linger? Did you look? Oh no, I, I just noticed and I looked the other way. And I say, good job. Way to go. Well, but, but, but I saw, listen, Listen, we live in a world that is very difficult to do that. So sometimes we need to understand that purity is exactly where David said it was. He didn't ask God, make my eyes pure. He said, make my heart pure. And let's be honest, we all know if we're doing things that makes our heart impure. If we're looking at things or watching things or listening to things, we know. Come on, we know. And God wants to make our heart pure. And he can do that if we'll ask him to. 
we can be the example that says, no, I'm not going to watch that. No, I'm not going to partake in that. Is it hard? Absolutely. But it can be done, and you can be an example. So in all of these things, we have some things that we can be doing. In all of these areas, we can say, how's, you know, again, with this, this idea of a scale, we can measure these things in our own life, in our own heart. But here's the thing. I have learned that in all of these things, we can do something else that can make us, as an example, go to the next level. And I want, and I believe that God is calling us to a next level with him. So here's the thing, as we finish this up, one of the best steps we can take to set the example. One of the best steps, okay? So you go, okay, I want to I be the example of love and faith and purity and, and conduct and speech. I want to do that. How can I take that to the next level? How can I be like Jesus to the next level? I'm going to give you one word. And I want you to get this in your heart because I believe this is huge. If you want to be the example that God's called you to be, and it's simply this, consistency. Consistency. If you want to be the example that I know God has called you to be and me to be, it is to be consistent as an example. To be consistent. Look at me with look at me at Hebrews 13:8. Listen to what it says. We know this verse. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't we love that verse? Isn't that a great verse? Here's the thing you need to know about that verse. If you are being trained in godliness, if you are a disciple of Jesus, and your goal is to become like God and like Jesus, guess what you need to be? The same yesterday, today, and forever. Does that sound a little scary? Yeah, it does to me. And listen, I understand it's a process. And you need to understand that too. But the process is to move in that direction, to be consistent. One of the great things about our Jesus is we know that he is consistent. That he will separate our sin as far as the east is from the west. That there isn't a moment where we have to go, well, will he forgive this? Because we know he will. We know that he'll never leave us because he promised us he wouldn't. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, we need to be the type of example to people where they know that we'll be there. They know that we're consistent. That we're not doing one thing on Sunday and another thing on Monday. We need to be consistent. And here's the thing. Look at me. Look at these in your notes with me because these are big. Consistently, consistency does some things. First, consistency produces trust. It produces trust. Can I want you to imagine something with me, okay? And Josh and Megan, you don't have to come up here, but I'm going to use you an example, okay? Because I have a feeling I know the answer here. So, Megan, let's say, let's, let's, let's say we, may, we build ourselves a time machine. We go back before you guys are married, and Josh is getting ready to propose, okay? This is, of course, the greatest day of your life. You're welcome, Josh. Uh, you know, this is very exciting. And Josh gets down on one knee, and he says, Megan, I love you. Megan, you're the greatest thing in the world, and I promise if you'll marry me, I'll be faithful to you at least one day out of the year. At least, you name the day, Megan. It doesn't matter what day it is. You name the day, and on that day, I will be faithful to you. I will be the best husband. Man, you will go to your friends, and you'll go, oh my goodness, God, I am just so blessed because my husband is the best husband one day a year. I don't think you'd probably say yes to that proposal. 
So Josh goes, okay, uh, how about this? Megan, one day, at least one day a month. That's 12, they're 12 months in the year, Megan. Hello. So for tw what, 12 days of the year, I will be faithful to you. I will be the best husband to you. Oh my goodness, it'll be, um, that, for that one day, you will be the queen of the world. I seriously doubt. And if you, if you did say yes to this, then we have other issues and, and we'll set up a counseling appointment, okay? But you would say no to that. So Josh, because he loves you, he goes, okay, okay, listen, I didn't want to go this far, you know, but, but once a week, once a week, I will be the very best husband that you have ever seen. I think, the, I, I think Josh would still be a bachelor today. Why did Megan, why do spouses say yes? I do weddings. Listen, I, I have never in my life done a wedding. And as I'm doing the wedding, I say, do you promise one day a year to honor and try? I don't say when everything's good. I say in sickness and in health. Listen, consistency builds trust. It produces trust. A lot of times we want trust without the consistency. We want people to believe that we'll be the example when we haven't been consistent in being the example. Trust is a wonderful thing, but it takes time and it takes consistency. But listen, consistency produces trust. You want trust? Be consistent. You want your husband or wife to trust you? Be consistent in how you love them and how you treat them. It's real simple, but it produces trust. Number two, consistency produces fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Listen, we want to be a fruitful church. We want to be a fruitful people. We want to produce fruit. We see this all the time. Jesus says they will know because of the fruit you produce. Listen, you want to produce good fruit, you got to be consistent in your walk. It's not easy sometimes to, to spend time in prayer every day. It's not easy every time to, to spend time in your word. But listen, if you want to produce the fruit that God's wanting you to do, if you want to be the example that God's called you to be, listen, if you want to be that type of fruitful, you've got to be consistent. Consistency produces fruitfulness. And the final thing, consistency brings victory. Consistency brings victory. Listen, if you want to be like Paul and finish the race, hear me here, you're going to have to keep pedaling even when things are hard. You want to be the example to your children or to your spouse or to your work, uh, people that you work with or your teachers or other students. You want to do that. You want to have victory take place in those areas. You've got to be consistent. You've got to keep working at it. Listen, I know people that have been praying and working on family members for years and years and years. And I believe there's going to be a victory in those areas. But listen, you got to keep praying. You got to keep pushing. You got to keep working. A lot of times we want the easy victory. We want it just to snap our fingers and victory to come. But the thing is, there has to be some consistency. And not only in this, but in all areas of our life. And look, as we even come to a close with our life, look what it says in Matthew 20, 20, 25, 21. This is what it says. It says, the master was full of praise. You see, when we're consistent and we're trustworthy and we're fruitfulness and then God brings us the victory, this is what we hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. 
What's faithful? What's that word really mean? It's simple. It's being consistent in your faith. You have been found to be faithful, not faithless in those things. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Now I want you to look at something with me for just a second because I think this, we need to understand what Scripture is really telling us and unfortunately at times what we misinterpret. What we see here is not God saying this. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more blessings. It says responsibilities. Listen, hear me here. Even though it's hard sometimes to think this way, you would rather have your father give you extra responsibilities than extra blessings. Because listen, as the responsibility grows, the blessings grow. The amazing things, the things, listen, the things that are eternal come as the responsibilities grow. Listen, I'm not saying God doesn't love to bless us with certain things. He does. He loves to do it, and we're thankful for it. But listen, I don't just want the blessings that God has for me with this types of responsibilities. I want the blessings that God has for me as my responsibilities grow in Him. Why? Because what's happening when my responsibilities are growing, my influence is growing, my, my light is growing, the salt that I'm throwing out there is growing. And because of that, listen, one of the greatest blessings you will have on this planet is the ability and the opportunity to lead someone in the sinner's prayer and bring them from life to death. Listen, I promise you, that is better and more valuable than any car that you could dream up, any house that you could want, or any number in your bank account. Because all those other things at some point in time are going to be gone. But when you do eternal things, they last eternally. And there is a blessing that is a part of that. Those are the types of blessings that I want. And quite honestly, they're the blessings that you want too. So we don't see here, listen, if you're a good example, God's going to give you stuff. When you're a good example, God gives you more people to be an example to. And that's what we need. That's what we want. Is the opportunity to not just be an example. Listen, should we be an example to our family? Absolutely. That's our first calling. But listen, there are hundreds of people in your life that God wants you to be an example to. He wants you to be able to take them and say, listen, we're going to finish this race. Is what God's called us to. And here's the funny thing. Without giving too much away about me surviving, because that's about next week. Next week's about if I made it or not. There were times on my race when I thought about people that had been an example to me. In the race, I thought, if this person can do it, I can do it. If I follow what they did, I can accomplish this. And here's the thing, even though when everything was said and done, they weren't there, they kind of were. One day, when all this is done, and God has made everything right, spiritually speaking, there's going to be people that cross 
their own finish line. And I believe you will be there as they cross. Why? Simple. Because you were an example to them. Because you, now listen, Jesus saves them, Jesus doesn't, but, but you were used by God to be the example that helped them in a hard moment, in a hard time. Listen, you can watch videos of it, of people that won the race I was in when they crossed. And there were people cheering, and then they finished first, and it's amazing. How, how quick did they do that in? Oh my goodness, that's crazy. That, that beat the other time by this. I mean, people were clapping and going crazy. Listen, that's not the finish line I care about. That's not the finish line you should care about. But listen, you need to understand this, as Paul said. There is a finish line. And I want you to be a part not only of celebrating you crossing it, but to be able to be there to celebrate as many people crossing it as possible. That's what God's called us to. That's the type of example that he wants us to be. If the worship team would come on up, we're going to close. Thank you, Jesus. Can we do something? Can we just, just so we can focus, let's just all close our eyes and bow our heads, just so we can have some, some time just with the Lord, because I, I really want us to look at this together. Can I, I just I want to ask you a simple question. It's simply this. Are you being the example that God's called you to be? Are you being the example that God has called you to be? Is your life an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. As I said earlier, as you begin to place those things, maybe on a daily or a weekly basis, on, on the scale, which side would go down? And here's the thing. If, if we're honest, we're probably fairly good at certain areas. You know, maybe we're good in the faith, but, but maybe our conduct isn't so good. You know what I mean? So, so there are probably areas of those five that we do fairly well in. And if that's the case, that's awesome. I want to encourage you. Keep going in that. That's awesome. But there are also probably some areas where the scale is not exactly falling the way it should. And in those areas that you struggle, I want to encourage you this morning that God can help you. Remember, God's not going to call you to something and not equip you to do it. But I will say this, there are areas that I know in my life, and I guarantee you there are areas in your life that you need help with. Maybe your speech, maybe it isn't foul, quote unquote, within the words that we consider to be not appropriate, but it's abusive. It's not encouraging. It's not helpful. You're the type of person that nobody wants to come to with a situation because they know you're just going to tear them down. Listen, if that's you, God wants to clean your speech. He wants to help you to be good in your speech and helpful in your speech and encouraging in it. Maybe your conduct isn't what it needs to be. Yeah, maybe you put on a real good show on Sunday morning, but Tuesday morning you are a completely different person in how you respond and act. 
God wants to help you in that. God wants to bring you to a place of consistency. See, that's the thing. Whether it's speech, conduct, faith, love, purity, whatever it is, whatever your area is, God wants to help you and me to be more consistent in those areas so we can be the greatest example that we can be in this moment. So God's not asking you to do it on your, by yourself. God's not even asking you to be perfect because he knows that we'll fail in areas. What he is asking is that to look to him and allow him to bring us on that journey of change, to be the type of example that literally changes the lives of those who see it. People are always watching you. What do they see? God can change us and let us be the type of example that people look to and that literally, with God's help, changes their life. You can be that person with God's help. But let's start today. Let's start. You say, Aaron, I'm not consistent. Okay, that's fine. That's fair. But God can help us to start being consistent today. We can be more consistent today than we were yesterday with God's help. So, Father, we come to you. And God, whatever area we have, Father, whatever area that we need to change and become more like you in, God, I pray that as we pray together, that God, we would begin to, to speak that out. That God, I need, to be, I need to be better in my conduct. God, I need to be better in my faith. I'm great when everything's good, but when it gets hard, my faith really suffers. God, I want to be an example there. I want you to train me so that I can train others in these areas. I want to be that type of example. And so, Father, I pray that no matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing, we look to you to help, and not only look to you to help us grow so that we can help others, but that you would help us in our consistency. No matter who we are, no matter what we deal with, whatever we're good at or, or bad at, we can all be more consistent in our walk with you, in our training with you. And this training, as you said in the scripture, doesn't just help us today. It helps us for eternity. It changes hearts and lives, starting with ours, but also others for eternity. And that's what you called us to. And so, Father, I pray for each and every one of us that, God, as we look to you, you will do those things in our hearts and in our lives. You're so good. We love you so much. Let's all stand. John and the worship team is going to come and lead us in a quick closing chorus. Thank you, God. For him my heart is 
God, thanks that we can come to you and we can bring these things to you and, and, and you'll, you love, you love to help us. You love to make us more like you in these areas and in others. So Father, as we have come to you as individuals and as a family, we give it to you. And Father, we say as individuals, make us better examples of who you are. As a church, make us a better example of who you are. Not so that we can gain fame, not so that we can get glory, but because we want your name to be made known. We want you to be famous. The world doesn't need another church and it doesn't need another Aaron. It needs more of you. It needs more of your followers acting and speaking like you. You change the world. You choose to use us as your ambassadors to do it. So as your ambassadors, make us more like you so that we can show the world who you really are. Because we know as you are lifted up, you will draw all people to yourself. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for being here this morning. For those that are online, we love you. We miss you. Hope to see you soon. Listen, we're going to hang out here for a bit, and then we're headed over to Jason's Deli for lunch. We'd love to have you join us. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.